Thank you. How are we? Everybody okay? I hope you're doing well tonight. I'm excited about tonight. I'm excited about looking at the next phase of our journey with our friend Jonah. Last week we were struggling in a well. Then we got spit out. Well, I think we're still Jonah. I am Jonah. It's good to meet you. Um, Tonight we'll be looking at Jonah chapter 3. We'll be looking at some of the... um, Some of the truths that God has for us. So if you have your Bible, turn to uh, Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you want to use the Pew Bible, turn to page 1068 in the book of Jonah. If you're... I still hear pages, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll get going. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now, Lord. We just pray that you would reveal who you are to us tonight. I pray that you would use me, God. I pray that um, the words would would ring true in in our hearts and our ears tonight. I pray that you would give us Give us ears to hear, God, and give us eyes to see your truth. Lord, we pray that you would take over my my heart, God, my my throat, God, and and my voice. Be glorified in this place. We pray this in your name. Amen. I don't know if you're a a, a lover of history. Maybe not. There's some people in here that, that know a lot about history, and there's some people that cringe at the idea of history. There was a historical event that happened in our nation called the Great Awakening. I don't know if you know much about the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening was in the mid 1700s, and the Great Awakening was basically a it was a big revival. People came to faith. People repented, and and um, there was a lot that happened during the Great Awakening. It's something that you can read about. That's clear in our history. And um, historians say that there's been a, a couple other Great Awakenings, but the first Great Awakening, we had a time where where People and it happened almost on a national level too. But uh, the first Great Awakening kind of dealt with um, the church. And what happened is during the first Great Awakening in the seventeen mid seventeen hundreds is there was a, a pulling away from just this um, this this emotionless this ritual ceremony and what it meant to to come to church. And it was just a an act. It was just an outward act. And there was a pulling away of that that just that outward act of what it meant to come together as God's people. And there was an emphasis of intense and personal walk with Jesus, of bringing a deep sense of conviction. And this was just just sweeping through the nation. And it was a it was a great, great thing that happened. Another thing that happened in this great awakening that we experienced in the 1700s, it, it reshaped the American Christian landscape. It reshaped it completely and it changed Americans' understanding of, of God and it changed Americans' understanding of themselves and, and the world and it, changed, and it played a key role in the development of the, the, the democratic concepts during the American Revolution. This was just happening in the church. And it gave the world such giants. Maybe you know them, uh, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. And it was a glorious thing that happened. And I submit to you tonight that we need another great awakening. Our country needs a great awakening. I think our homes need a great awakening. I think churches need a great awakening. What we find in the middle of the book of Jonah, in Jonah chapter 3, we find a great awakening. 
we find this great awakening and we're going to look at this great awakening and, and we'll, um, if, if you're here tonight and you haven't been with us on Sunday nights, I'll catch you up a little bit what's going on. So if you're in uh, Jonah chapter three, um, the first word just begins with then. So when you see a word then that, that's there for some reason, just like the word therefore, when you see the word therefore in your Bible, it's, it's there for a reason. And so it's good to find out what's going on in the story. You can't just start in Jonah chapter three. So what happened? What's going on in the first two chapters? Well, Jonah, he, he, he gets a commission from the Lord to go and preach to Nineveh. And Jonah says no. And he gets up and he, he arises and he goes down to Joppa or, or modern day Jaffa to now. It's a port city. And he gets on a boat with some mariners, some sailors, maybe, maybe some uh, burly looking pirates are on this boat. And he tries to run as far away as he can. And he starts heading towards Tarshish. And you, you, you understand with a map, if you're looking at a map, you see the Mediterranean Sea that Jonah is going the, the, the opposite direction. Well, what happens is that the storm that the Lord hurled threatened to break up the ship, right? And they cast lots and they tried to figure out what to do. And they didn't really want to throw Jonah overboard, but eventually they did. And, they, and Jonah realized he was the problem. They threw him overboard and, and Jonah eventually, we don't know how long he was floating around, but he started sinking and he started sinking and the Lord provided a fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah in the belly of that fish for three days came to a place in his heart, in his life of repentance. So we have this time where it says, then <clears throat> that's where we are. First, second chapter of Jonah. Now, uh, what we, what's going on on a map, if you look at a map, Nineveh is about 500 miles from the closest place where a big fish could get to the shore and spit him out. Now, when you're looking at the book of Jonah, you don't see that 500-mile distance. Now, I guess there are fish that, that go on land. You see the little critters swimming around. God could have made a big one like that. And I think in our minds what we, we have when we, when we read where Jonah is, when he finally gets spit out and he goes, we don't realize that there's some time there. We don't know how long... He was on the shore or and, and I was thinking about this and I was joking with Brian today. It's, it was kind of funny because I thought that, well, maybe maybe God had this fish that was like a missile launcher and he spit out Jonah and Jonah went 500 miles. Because we have this idea that he gets spit out and he's like coming into this city like dripping or, and like still smells like fish guts or something. I don't know, maybe, and I was doing some math about, about 500 miles, how, how long it would take for an individual on foot. How long would it take you on foot to go 500 miles? Some of y'all can run a little bit, but it's going to take you a while. And I was thinking about like the mode of transportation and they have what they, what, what's referred to back then as the ships of the desert and those are camels. Well, camels go about eight, eight to 10 miles an hour. So even if he got spit out on the shore and he like wipes the scum off of his eyes and I mean, be, in some, be somewhere dark for three days. It, it, it takes a while for you to see. Maybe he's like, I got to get some food. Maybe he's like, I need to go see a doctor. But what he does know is that he's got to get to Nineveh. Now, maybe there's a guy standing there with um, a camel ready to. Say, here, take this camel. You got somewhere to go. And he, maybe he sees this fish, this big thing, beach himself and 
hurl this this dude out of the stomach and maybe he wants to give him everything. I mean, what would you do if you're walking out on the beach and all of a sudden a big fish showed up, spit out a guy and he stands up? You'd be like, take my wallet. take care. You'd run away, right? So maybe there was a guy standing there and he said maybe he had a racing camel. Now, I don't know if you have a racing camel, they go about 40 miles an hour, but it would take a long time for a racing camel to go 500 miles at at 40 miles an hour. You can do the math. You guys are smart. Me and Brian did the math. We figured it out. But I think the reality here is that it took Jonah a while. Now, now we don't really know what he looked like, but um, if you're in a fish gut for a while, it probably does something to your skin and your hair. And so I thought maybe I'd find a picture of a guy that maybe this is what Jonah looks like. And I don't know if this worked. Hopefully this picture, maybe he looked like that. <clears throat> and I really don't know who that is. If you're a fan of that guy, I'm sorry. But... Maybe Jonah had this bleached out blonde hair, little lighter skin being in the fish. And he shows up in a really, in a culture with a lot of dark skinned people. And he shows up looking like that guy. So we see Jonah is in the, in the fish. And I, maybe I overcomplicate things and think too much. But then we see, it says, then this guy, whoever that was, maybe he looked like that. It said, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh. The same commission that God gave him the first time, God was faithful and said, you know what? Arise, go. And what happened? Well, we see that uh, God says, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it. The message I tell you. So Jonah arose. That, that word arose. I don't know if he, he stood up. and But anyway, we know that he makes for Nineveh. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, <clears throat> three days journey in breadth. Now, when you look at the, a city back in uh, ancient Eastern times, when it says three days, it's, it's not talking talking about this huge place that if you were walking around it, it would take you three days. Now, we don't really know this for certain, but most scholars would, would probably say that what, what's going on here when it says three, a three days journey what would happen in a lot of these uh, important cities, these royal cities, they would have ambassadors or dignitaries. They would come, these important people, and they would come to these cities. Now, these cities were important places. We know that Nineveh was like a, like a capital type. So there was a lot of travelers coming in, and they, they looked different, and they came in with a different caravan, and they came in with a different business. And usually it took about three days for somebody out of town on official business, who was unofficial of some sort to do business. Now, what would happen is the first day they would come into the city and they would come in and they would kind of get settled on the first day. They'd have a time where they would come in and they would get checked in Holiday Inn Express and they would get settled. And that was kind of like the arrival day. They really didn't do anything that first day. They came straight to wherever their preparations were made for where they were going to stay. And they would just kind of chill out a little bit. So the first day they would do that. The second day was this formal presentation type, okay? They would come before the elders or the, or the smart people in the city or the important people of the city, and they would say, okay, I have an appointment that I set yesterday, and they would come before them and say, this is why I am here. And they would say, I'm here to do this, I'm here to see this, I'm here to talk to these people, this, that, and the other. And on the, the next day, they would have this conducting of their business that they were there, and then they would depart. So it took three days, usually, in a city like this to go. You'd have your time where you'd show up and you'd stretch out a little bit and you'd get settled. And then you'd tell them why you were there. And then you did what you were there for. And then you left. But what does Jonah do? Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days. 
First day, he's still, he's still got his bleached hair. He's not even getting settled. He knows what he's there for. He goes to call out. Jonah began to go into the city of a day's journey. He called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. There's a good chance Jonah, when he's talking to these people, he didn't just say, I mean, if you're really strange looking and you just show up, yet 40 days and this place is going to be overthrown. There's probably going to be some people like, okay, yeah, right. Well, what happened is, is the people believed God, right? And they repented. So Jonah, yes, he said in 40 days, this place is going to be destroyed. But he, he, he probably had a time where he explained it a little bit. He said, this is why I'm here. This is who I am. I've been in a well of a problem. And now I'm here to tell you about the well of a problem that you're in. And so he goes on with his sermon, what God told him to say. And the people of Nineveh, verse 5, believed God. <clears throat> they called for a fast. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And when you read the Bible, it talks about sackcloth. It just doesn't mean that they went to a different store and bought some strange clothes. There's a lot of times in the, in the scripture where, where you'll read about sackcloth being this torment version of fashion for some reason and they would put on sackcloth and it was a time of, of mourning we see that in job job loses everything as craig mentioned earlier and the bible says that he put on sackcloth sometimes they would even sit down in dirt and throw dirt on their head and they would or they would shave their head or they would sit in ashes and put ashes on their head and the people of nineveh believed god they called for a fast from the greatest of them to the least with sackcloth. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he rose from his throne, removed his robe. He's changing clothes here too. Covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. The king did. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor... A herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Wouldn't it be great to hear somebody in charge say that from the White House? Who knows? Maybe God will relent from his fierce anger and spare us. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. I think there's a couple things going on in this passage that we'll look at. First, there's a God of the great awakening. This great awakening that we have in Scripture is a great awakening. You see this nation come to repentance. There's a God of the Great Awakening. He is a God of second chances. I love the first part of this. And Tony almost stole my sermon last Sunday night when he started talking about God of being a God of second chances. He's a God of second chances. He gave Jonah a second chance. He said the word came to Jonah a second time. And maybe, maybe Jonah would, would have fled again. God might have swooped down and picked him up with a big eagle and hit him up in a tree in his nest for three days. I don't know. I think John would have had a third chance. See, God is a God of second chances. 
And that's good. He's patient. We see this patient God of second chance is mentioned in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. We see this in Exodus 34, verse 6. He says, the Lord passed before him, talking about Moses, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's God proclaiming his name. This is God preaching a sermon about himself to Moses. He's saying, I am slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's patient. He's patient with me and you. Aren't you glad? What if he wasn't patient with us? I'm telling you, we would be in more than a whale of a problem tonight. But God is patient and he is merciful. And he shows his mercy to us and he is good. God gave Jonah a second chance. And Jonah still got to go on mission for God. See, God couldn't use Jonah in the belly of that fish. God wasn't using Jonah in the, in the bottom of that ship. See, sometimes people think it's like, uh, oh, I, I, God's calling me to do something. If God's calling you to do it, there's no better calling in the world. There's nothing greater than that. By grace, we get to be saved and forgiven from our iniquities and our sin. Amen to that. And by grace, we get to go out and proclaim the good news. By grace, we get to go to wherever he calls us. By grace, we get to proclaim the gospel. That's a great thing. Jonah still got to go on a mission for God. And God used him in a great way. Sometimes we can look at Jonah and say, I don't... God was still able to do a mighty, incredible thing through Jonah. So God of great awakening is a... Is a patient, good God, but He's also a God of the proclaimed word. What happened? We see this um, message that God gave Jonah. It was very simplistic, yet it was powerful. Yet in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Paul talks briefly about this, this idea of this powerful, simplistic message. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 um, says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We see that God can take simple messages, make them powerful, and it can do amazing things as we see clearly in Nineveh. God is a God of the proclaimed word, a simplistic yet powerful word, and, and, and proclamation of truth. This was the truth. This is what God gave Jonah to call out to Nineveh. And God wants to say things to churches. And God wants to, to, to his word to go forth. I think it's great that we're in a church that God's word is proclaimed. Not just ideas. Not just some, something we came up with. These aren't, believe me, it, there's, there's hard sermons to preach. And Tony will tell you too. And we're not, we don't get up here to say what we want to say to you. We get what God wants to say to you. And we wrestle with it. Spurgeon said hundreds have missed their way and stumbled against a pulpit. And it's sorrowfully evident. 
from the fruitless ministry and decaying churches which surround us. There's a lot of people that they might want to stand up in front of people and proclaim something. But the truth is what needs to be proclaimed. Jonathan Edwards, I mentioned earlier, was one of the great preachers from the, the Great Awakening. You know, he would preach sometimes two hours long and he would preach in a monotone voice and he would sit like this and read it the whole time. And he would say things like this. This is a sermon that Jonathan Edwards had called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. This is, this is two sentences. Now imagine two hours sitting, listening to this. Somebody sitting here reading. Your wickedness makes you as though you were heavy as lead and to tend downward with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf and your, and your healthy constitution and your own care and pertinence and best contrivances and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web could stop a falling rock. Were it not for the sovereign pleasure of God, the earth would not bear you for one moment. You are a burden to it. The creation groans with you. The creature is made subject to the bondage of your corruption. Not willing, the sun does not willingly shine upon you to give you light to serve over sin and Satan. The earth does not willingly yield her increase to satisfy your lust, nor is it willingly a stage for your wickedness to be acted upon. The air does not willingly serve you for breath to maintain the flame of life in your vitals while you spend your life in the servants of God's enemies. Could you imagine sitting, listening to someone read that two hours long? Not looking up. But God used that in a mighty way to birth a great awakening in a nation that needed that. And it wasn't somebody, some guy standing there performing. It was somebody taking God's word and preaching it. God is a God of the proclaimed word. Now, George Whitfield, on the other hand, was the same preacher that I mentioned earlier. He would get a little, little crazy. You know, he would be running around a little bit. And people responded to that, too. Benjamin Franklin came to hear George Whitfield preach. Because there were thousands that would come to hear him preach. And he would come just because he was curious. Like, what? who is this guy? People would come all around. But they heard the preached word of God. And it was preached in truth and in power. And God is a great awakening God of the proclaimed word. God also is a God of the great awakening. And he's a God of the nations. God had a mission for Jonah to go to Nineveh. God has a mission for us to go to the nations. Just take a little time. Take a little time and look up the word nations in scripture. And look up the word peoples. And you will see clearly. That God is a God who wants his proclaimed truth, his preached word to go to the nations. The psalmist says in Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Who wants that? We all want that, right? Well, why does God, why, why, why do we need God to be gracious to us and, and bless us and shine his face upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations? Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Folks, listen, there is no place 
too far for the proclaimed truth of God's word. There's no place too hard for the proclaimed truth of God's word. There's no place too pagan. There's no place too poor. There's no place too lost. There's no place too sick. He is a God for the nations and for the peoples. And we will go when he calls us. May God bring great awakening to the nations. And may he use us in doing so. We also see that God is a, this great awakening God is a God who relents. The king said, who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger. Prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 18, 8, he says, If that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intend to do to it. God proclaims judgment. He says, if they turn, I will turn from the disaster. We also see in Jeremiah 18, verse 10, And if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. Now here's the formula found in Jeremiah 26, 13. And we wrestle with this. Does God change his mind? Does he change his plan? Does, is God, does he change? He just says, I'm going to change. I'm going to relent. I'm going to turn. It's the same word that we can use for repent. God is going to repent from the disaster that he intended to do it. Jeremiah 26, 13. Now, therefore, mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord, your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. Now, God has pronounced judgment and condemnation on sin. But he gives us this formula. Turn from your ways, mend your ways, mend your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord. What does Jesus do with this? Because a lot of times we think that, well, the God of the Old Testament, he's the God that is the God of disaster. How does he deal with it? In John three sixteen through 18, we know three sixteen by heart. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So if you're in this place and you're like Nineveh hearing this message of judgment, you're in this place now hearing this pr pronouncement of judgment. What do you do? You hear the truth and you respond and God will turn from the disaster it should be poured out on you. And we have this beautiful picture of God turning from the disaster. See, God is a God of disaster. And the biggest, horrific, the worst disaster that has ever been seen in mankind has been the crucifixion of Jesus. That was a disaster. The Bible says that God was pleased to crush his son. Why did it please God? Because one day Jesus... The mediator that we have is going to stand in our place, stand in the gap for us. He is going to take our disaster upon himself that we deserve. God turned his disaster to Jesus. So here you are, Nineveh, with the pronouncement of judgment upon yourself. 
Repent. Repent and turn to a God whose perfections are unchanging, to a God whose purposes are unchanging, to a God whose promises are unchanging. His plan is unfolding and it, and it involves mercy for sin, for your sin and for my sin. God doesn't change. He changes us. And that's good. God is the God of the great awakening that we see in Nineveh. And there's also a people of the great awakening that we see here. This passage, I think, involves three things involved with this great awakening that you see in, in, in Nineveh. The first thing is illumination. You know what illumination is? Where something comes in, into, into, into light. When I was in um, Tennessee as a teenager, we, we went through this cave kind of thing. And everybody had a flashlight. And everybody had clothes that we wouldn't mind throwing away because it was it was a it was a dirty muddy cave and we had to like crawl and like shimmy and and lay down and go through the mud and and it was a really cool place right i mean it's, it's not like y'all want to go right now no okay maybe one day and so we get to this place and our guide says okay um we all had flashlights and he said all right everybody turn your lights off and it's in a big kind of a, a cavernous room like this and there's, there's different rock formations and we turn off the lights and it is pitch black, like pitch black, like I've never seen anything black before in my life. And, and honestly, everybody just kind of went, oh, I mean, we knew where everybody was. We knew what was going on. And I just couldn't imagine being in that darkness. And then he, he had a little lighter or something. He, he, he kicked it open like that and flicked it on and the, the darkness just fled. See, God is a God of illumination. He illumines our heart. See, the thing is, is Jonah was preaching this simple message that they wouldn't have gotten if God didn't open the eyes of their heart. They wouldn't have believed if God didn't open, as the book of Acts said, open the door of faith in their heart. They wouldn't have believed because God is the great, as Einstein said, the great illuminator. He brings in brightness. He brings in light. As Ephesians 1.18 says, having the eyes of their heart enlightened. God is a God who illuminates. You see that, that, that the word went, it, it came. Into, like Jonah wasn't just this crazy looking bleach blonde guy. He was a guy that was, that was bringing the word into Nineveh. The word went in. It says it, it went into the city and the word reached the king. See, if you're here today as, as a believer, praise God that God in His Word came to you and went into you and it reached you and it opened up the eyes of your heart and it opened up your ears. It gave you ears to hear and gave you love to love people in the world and the gospel. God did that because He's an illuminator God. He will come in in this dark cavern of who you are and He will click that light and the darkness will flee because that's who our God is. There's illumination involved. God's word reaches us, comes into us, and illuminates our understanding of him. That's what happened in Nineveh. And if you're resonating with that, that's good. Because you know that's what happened to you. And maybe that hasn't happened to you tonight. Well, here you are, sitting here. Why are you here? Oh, just some crazy chance that you're here? There was somebody walking down the street that saw that weird-looking prophet... Look at that guy. You think it was just some accident that you hear? Well, maybe God is reaching into that dark cavern of your soul that's just pitch black. And maybe he's bringing light to that. So we see that God, that these people are people of illumination. 
Also, people of spiritual mourning. It says, in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. They called for a fast. They called for to, to everybody change their garments, to put on sackcloth. Like it's something terrible that has happened in your life. You put on sackcloth and the king sat in ashes. There was a mourning involved there. There was a, a time of, of deep hurt over sin. And that needs to happen before a great awakening can happen in your heart. That needs to happen before a great awakening can happen in our country. That needs to happen before a great awakening can happen in this church or in any other church. God's word can come in into the darkness, into the city. But there needs to be something that you do with that. And you sink back and you say, how wretched a sinner I am. And we plop down and we just throw dirt all over our head. Because what else are we left to do but just go into a time of mourning? Look at yourself in the mirror and say, what a wretched sinner I am. How great it is that God has brought light to that. And repent. That's the next thing that Nineveh did. God's word eliminated them. There was a time of spiritual mourning and there was faith and repentance. The Bible says they believed God. And they turned from sin. There it is right there. God's word came into the city, illuminated the darkness, the darkness fled, there was some mourning, and then they turned from their sin and repented. In Acts chapter 2, we see this played out in the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 says, when they heard this, this is after uh, a great sermon was preached, the, the, the New Testament church is Coming on to the scene, coming on strong. And there's this great first sermon that's been preached in Acts chapter 2. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Okay? And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what? What what should we do? And what does he say? Same thing that Nineveh. That's what they did. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I think there's, there's, there's two people in here right now. I think there's Jonah in here that, that God is, you're in. You're in, in the family. You've been called out and, and commissioned to go. And you're, you're running still a little bit. Or maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're proclaiming the word. If you're, if you're Jonah today, if you're a believer, you have an unbelievable message to proclaim. To go and proclaim to the world, to the nations, to your neighbor, to the person that lives in the house with you. You have the proclaimed word of God that changes hearts. Do that. Go with that. And maybe you're in here and you're Nineveh. Has the word come to you? Has the word come to you tonight? Well, believe and receive. Repent. Tonight can be... A night of illumination for you. And my prayer for everybody in here is that the eyes of your heart have been opened. And that you come and you receive by faith salvation. We're going to have a time of invitation. If you're lost in here, I'll be down here. Uh, Pastor Brian will be down front as well. You just come and grab one of us and say, I just, I think I'm lost. I need God to illuminate. I need God to open my eyes to the truth.
Maybe you're a believer. Just come down here and just ask God to, to use you. Do you want him to use you? You got a message? Live it. Share it. Proclaim it. Maybe you're, maybe you're here tonight. You think God's calling you to ministry. Well, we want to pray with you about that too. As we stand for invitation, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. God, I thank you for the truth of this wonderful book. Lord, I thank you for the fact, God, that you are a God that illuminates heart, hearts. God, you're a God that is a God of a great awakening. You're a God of second chances. And Lord, you're a God that desires to use us in your mission on this earth. How wonderful it is to know that you love us. Lord, my prayer right now is for the person who, they're, they're just pushing back from this. And, and this morning, and they, there's just a, a, a great distance that comes in their heart and in their mind when they're in church. And they run from it. And they get in their car and they drive away and they turn on music and they have conversations and they just get away from it. Lord, I pray that you would cause them to come face to face with the reality of who they are in you. And Lord, if, if there's still the, a dark, broken cave of a person, we pray that right now in this moment, that you would infiltrate that darkness. That the light of who you are would shine bright into their dead, lifeless heart. And you would cause the door of faith to be open in their heart. And you would cause them to be born again. God, I pray that they would be faithful in what you're calling them out on now. God, as we turn to you, we give this time to you, God. I pray that you use it and be glorified through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you come?